yorkshirepost.co.uk. Hello and welcome to a special edition of Football Talk from the Yorkshire Post. In this episode, we're joined by Chief Football Writer for the Yorkshire Post, Stuart Rayner, Dr Michael Gray from the University of East Anglia, and ex-Leeds United footballer John Stiles. We will be discussing the issue of dementia in ex-footballers, a condition which research suggests is made worse as a result of heading the ball. Don't forget, you can keep up to date with all the latest football news across Yorkshire and beyond by logging onto our website at www.yorkshirepost.co.uk forward slash sport, as well as checking out our various Twitter feeds, the main one being at YPSport. If you search for Yorkshire Post Sport, Yorkshire Post Football or even Sheffield Sport on Facebook, you can find us there as well. If you have any questions for our writers, you can get in touch using those various Twitter or Facebook pages, or email us directly with the subject matter as football talk podcast at yp.sport at jpimedia.co.uk. Yorkshirepost.co.uk. Welcome to the special uh, to this special edition of Football Talk. Um, today we're joined by Chief Football Writer for the Yorkshire Post, Stuart Rayner, and two special guests. Um, first is former Leeds United and Doncaster Rovers midfielder John Styles who is the son of England World Cup winner Nobby Styles? Uh, we're also joined by Dr. Michael Gray, who is a reader in rehabilitation neuroscience at the University of East Anglia. Um, Michael is also leading a £1 million study, SCORES, uh, to better understand cognitive health in former players. Um, now, the subject of dementia in former footballers has been raised frequently over the past few years. Uh, And in spite of a variety of research suggesting direct links, the authorities seem to have taken little reaction. Uh, Nobby Styles is far from the only high-profile footballer to have suffered from dementia, uh, and John has been calling for positive steps to be taken by the FA, PFA and other bodies to finally take positive action. Um, John has also recently wrote to all 92 league clubs uh, to talk about the issues uh, around heading in the sport and the relationship that it has with dementia, with only a handful having replied. Um, Turning to Dr Gray now, uh, the SCORES project um, is an independent research study designed to better understand the cognitive health of athletes as they age and the study will investigate the rate of cognitive decline in former professional footballers compared with the average healthy person. Um, Stuart, um, can you start by telling us what motivated you uh, to write your recent articles on this subject in the Yorkshire Post? Um, Because it matters, Mark. Um, You know, I I love my job, um, but but let's be honest, a a lot of the things I write about are that important in the grand scheme of things. This is hugely important because, we, you know, we talk about lives being damaged and, and shortened by what... You know, the coroner, when Jeff Astle died 20 years ago, said was an industrial disease caused by football. And, you know, the, the, the list of former players suffering dementia is depressingly long. And there's some, some really important names on it. You know, there's only only 11 Englishmen have ever won the World Cup. And, you know, one of them, Sir Bobby Charlton, has dementia. His brother Jack, um, Ray Wilson, Martin Peters, Nobby Styles have all died of it. You know, and they, these weren't just great players. I mean, Sir Bobby was a, a great ambassador for the game. Jack was a great manager. Nobby coached the class of 92. So football owes these people a, a huge amount. You know, and a, a sport as rich as the English game should really have seen to it that they were much better looked after than they, they have been. But, you know, it's important too because, you know, it, 
affects lesser players as well. You know, they, they might not be footballing greats, but they're still, you know, dads and uncles and brothers and, you know, mums and sisters and what have you. And, and now people like Dr. Gray have sort of taught us about the links between football and dementia. It's it's really important that we do do more to protect those playing today and 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 really just to spread you know to spread the research that, that Dr. Gray's been doing and the, and the campaigning that John's been doing um, to to sort of um, make people aware of of what's happening and what their concerns are. Definitely, I mean, like you said, it is a very important topic because it. It is people's health and people's lives are on the line. And the last thing we want is to basically give football a very negative image when it comes to looking after people's health. Yeah, well, I mean, you know, when when John was playing, you know, uh, the risks probably weren't weren't very clear. You know, it, we didn't know what they, you know, what players of his generation have mind his, his dad's generation were doing to themselves. Mm. But say thanks to people like Dr. Gray, we do know now. Um, and, and you know, it's, it's not true to say the football authorities haven't done anything, but they, they, I'm really concerned that they haven't done anywhere near enough. Yeah, exactly. And um, with regards to, to the authorities, um, John, can you explain what you've uh, been doing and what you are looking from from the authorities now? Well, there's several things, uh, Mark. Um, first of all, the ex-players have getting, get virtually no help who are suffering from dementia. Uh, that's the first thing. They need help. I've been calling for a fund to be established to help them. The PFA at the moment will help them while they're at home um, because heading the ball's done it. Um, but when they go into a residential home, they cut off the help, which just to me is disgraceful. Um also, I want to see if there can be some help for the players like myself with ticking time bombs because mm-hmm. we we very likely will have symptoms, quite, quite a number of us. And lastly, um, the thing that is incredible is that even now, after all these years, nobody has ever explained CTE to the current players and the risks mm-hmm. so that they can make an informed decision about when they, when they head the ball and make their own choices. I'm not advocating stopping them from heading the ball. I just want them to give, I want to give them the information and nobody's ever done it. Um, so those are the things I'm after. And the most recent thing that Stuart reported on was I, I gave some leaflets out at Doncaster Rovers and these young lads came up um, before I was prevented from doing it. And I just looked at their faces and I thought, these lads, these lads are going to damage themselves today. I mean, they might even say after training we'll go and play head tennis because they don't know. They don't know. They've never been told. So um, those, are the, those are the things I'm after. And without wanting to be dramatic, Mark, mm-hmm. I honestly believe that in, in, in time this will be seen as the like, same as the likes of Grenfell, Hillsborough. My dad's team, the 68 team, was one team out of 92 in 1968. Half of those players early onset dementia and if you say there's other 91 clubs are we really saying that their brains are going to be different from my dad's and Bobby Charlton's and only done so that's how big a, a situation I think this is Mark mm-hmm. yeah because I mean like you said with regards to former players like yourself um, it just reminded me of the documentary that Alan Shearer made who let's be honest made made his career from heading the ball 
at opportune moments. And it's just one of those things where when you see something like that, you think, what what can we do to basically stop um, them potentially harming themselves even further? Well, yeah, the big thing, it's not the matches, Mark, it's the training. Yeah, exactly. Um, my friend Brendan Ormsby, who's in a terrible way now, um, basically their, their neurospecialist has actually put on the form that believe it's CTE. So that's just one another player I played with at Leeds. He's already had a neurodegenerative problem. Um, so, yeah, it's... it's and what they, One of the common things that people say nowadays that, oh, the balls were heavier. Well, when they were, when they were light, when, at the start of the game, they weighed the same between 14 and 16 ounces, but they did get wet. The balls nowadays don't get wet, but they travel much faster. So I think there's going to be another, even if we sorted it out now, we've got another 20 or 30 years of players who will get early onset dementia. That's what I believe. And um, what, why do you think that the FA, Premier League and PFA have, have not taken more significant action up to now? <laughs> I can only, without wanting to be too controversial, I can only think they're terrified of the implications of admitting the, they've allowed this to happen. Um, they've had knowledge of it, um, which were therefore might need might lead to need, uh, go on to legal action or whatever. I think that they are worried about the complications if they admit that it's a real problem. Um, whatever happens, um, I just think that this is a, a huge, huge problem. It's not rocket science. Uh, Michael obviously knows all the science, but. Um, football is the only game where your head is used as an instrument to propel an object. And it's blatantly obvious. It seems to me to be as obvious as smoking and lung cancer. Yeah, yeah. So I think this is a, a huge, huge issue that has been fobbed off for, for years, maybe decades. Mm. And um, turning to Dr. Gray now, um, has the research project that you're leading identified any links between heading of football and subsequent dementia? Well, that's that's not what my specific project was was aimed to to determine. But in answer to question, um, the, the the field study that was done in Scotland that, that many people know about now. That is pretty darn good evidence, circumstantial evidence, but it's pretty darn good evidence on, on top of all the, the plethora of examples of, of um, former professional footballers who now have dementia or mild cognitive impairments. I, I think, you know, when you look at the field study and the thousands of people that were looked at and, and the, uh, the, the significant, are very significantly different um, outcome in terms of brain health compared with people who are not playing professional football I, I it, 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 it's hard to argue against that and um, a follow-up question to that one um, there's been a lot in the news recently about concussion injuries uh, for example junior Firpo at Leeds United and Sadio Mane whilst he was away at the Africa Cup of Nations um, is there a link between concussion injuries and subsequent dementia we think that's less of a problem now. For, 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 for many years, it was thought that concussion was actually the issue. Um, the way I like to look at it now is that it's the big issue with concussion is getting the player off the pitch so that they don't sustain even more neural damage um, as, the as a result of, of further knocks to the head. 
Um, what we think is is certainly in football is the bigger issue are these subconcussive insults. And these are insidious because we don't know that we're actually causing damage to the brain. Um, but as it happens, every I mean, each and every time one goes for a header, um, when head hits the ball or we hit an arm or we hit the floor with the, with, with the head, damage is being caused. That doesn't mean that it results in a concussion um, that is noticeable at the time, but there is still damage to the underlying neural structure that over years and years of doing this leads to, we think, um, heightened neurodegeneration. Hmm. And with regards to um, basically what you were saying with the damage that that is caused, um, could could you sort of explain a bit more uh, for, for the listener how... Um, how how that could sort of manifest itself and basically become more apparent as time goes on. Yes, absolutely. The um, we, 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 let's start with the mechanism. Um, we have to think about the brain as as, as being like some jelly um, in a bowl, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, if you if you if you put some gelatin in a bowl and you knock the side of the table, the the, the gelatin will 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 wobble. That's exactly what's happening in your brain now. When, when the brain comes in contact with it or the head comes in contact with another object. Now, that wobbling is causing damage to the underlying neural structures, the, um, in particular, the, the axons, we call them. So these are the, um, these are the bits of the nerve that al- allow one nerve to communicate with another nerve. It's those little bits of the, of, of the neurons that are, that are damaged. Now, when a nerve is damaged, sometimes it can repair itself, but very frequently it cannot repair itself. And what then happens is that is the the nerve uh, d- dissolves in the in the bloodstream, it, or sorry, it breaks up into its component parts and dissolves into the bloodstream. Now that the trouble is that not all of the nerve dissolves in the bloodstream. There is there are certain components. We've heard of this thing called tau proteins or amyloid proteins. Um, those are insoluble, and and what happens is is they clump together, and and they they stop nerves from working, they stop blood flow from from flowing as it as it should. So over years and years of doing this, more and more of these tau proteins are clumping together, and and creating this this damage. And it's exactly the same thing that we see in things like Alzheimer's disease, but um, so it's, so it's it's the same mechanism. But what we see in chromatic traumatic encephalopathy is is that we, we, we get these damage in, in specific areas of the brain that are a little bit different than what we see in Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. And um, well, basically, we were talking about um, one of the uh, similar studies that, that's been taking place. Um, that there are obviously a number of similar studies to yours. Um, are the findings generally similar? Have, have you seen? Well, I wouldn't. Uh, I wouldn't say they're necessarily similar. There are there are a number of studies that are being done on the brain, um, and 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 I wouldn't say very many either. I think I think there's a long a, a lot of room for improvement here. So we've got a study called the Brain Study, which is being done in London, and that's where where um, people do some online assessments, but mostly they have to come into London and have some blood tests and have some um, uh, MR scans and, and and this type of thing. Um, which obviously was very difficult during COVID to do. Um, there's another study in Manchester where they're doing MR scans of the brain. 
and um, and then there's our study where we we do it completely online. So we're all looking for different things, and in my study in particular, what we're actually looking for is um, or what's very different from my study compared with these other studies is that they're having people come in once and they do one single assessment at one time. Um, um, and then they compare a, a large group of people to another large group of people. Um, in my study, we're, we're looking at people every three months from the comfort of their own homes. They do, um, um, I, I won't call them cognitive assessments, although we do do that, but it's, it's more of a full brain health assessment. Um, so we do a number of questionnaires. We do some specific cognitive assessments that, um, and, and, and we look over time at how the brain will change. Now, the unfortunate thing is that after the age of 40, all of us, our, our brains start to decline. The, the question we're asking is, if we've played professional football, do the brains decline faster or does that decline start earlier than other high-level athletes? Yeah. Can, I, can I just ask, uh, Dr. Gray, in terms of, we, you know, we see, in, we see in football, we see a, a player get a bang to the head, physio run on uh, and assess them. How how realistic is it for a physio to be able to make an accurate assessment within a couple of minutes about whether that player should be able to play on or not? Great question. Well, we have some very clear guidelines as to what we should be doing. And the, the, the challenge, unfortunately, is that those, those, those guidelines aren't always followed. So you can see, well, less frequently than it used to be, um, but, but you can see announcers now on, 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 on the telly basically saying they shouldn't have let that person back on. We can see, we see quite clearly that, that that person is concussed. We don't see that, fortunately, very much anymore. Um, but if the guidelines are followed, and, and the guidelines are very clear on this, what the guidelines say, if there is a suspected concussion, the player should be removed from play and not be allowed to play again for that day. Mm -hmm. um, the, there's only so much weight one can do in the very short period of time that one has to, to assess a player. But, but I th for, for me, the, the, the key thing is if we suspect a concussion, we get them off the pitch. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm glad you brought that up, Stuart, because um, w one example that has just sprung to my mind, I, I know it's a, a different sport and it's a lot more um, of a contact sport, but the NFL, for example, um, that that is really uh, sort of contact heavy and you see many uh, players actually leading with their head going into challenges. However, the the protocols for them are a lot more rigid when it comes to uh, evaluating a player they genuinely they literally have to be taken off down to the uh, to the physio room so that they can get away from all the noise and be properly evaluated and if that's not done properly they face well the team faces um, hefty hefty fines do you think mm -hmm. that's something that should be explored uh, here for example well, I, I, I certainly do. I mean, probably the best person to ask is, is John as a, as, a, as a former player. But uh, yes, that's certainly something I'd like to see. Yeah, yeah um, I, think they're, I, I think they're a disgrace. Um, I mean, the guy, Fer, that boy Furpo was, what, three minutes to look at him? Mm -hmm. I mean, are they physios or are they doctors? Um, you look at it, they, they, they've got to have the, the uh, temporary substitutes on. Mm -hmm. I mean... I, I'm, I'm biased, of course, but I just don't think, I really don't think they care, no matter what they say. 
I mean, watching that that lad go on, it made me feel sick. Um, and as, as Michael said, a suspicion. It's not hard to see if somebody's been got a proper good whack on the head. There's a good suspicion that they're going to be concussed. Mm-hmm. I mean, that lad, he came back on and then, what was it, so many minutes later, he came off again with blurred vision. Yeah. Things have got to change. Mm-hmm. Um, people like uh, Michael and, and uh, Willie Stewart, that's who they should be taking the advice off about what they do with the players when they get a whack on the head in a match. They should be talking to them. They should be talking to them about the other protocols. They're the experts. But mm. it's it's all about getting the player back on. They must win at all costs because there's a lot of money involved. Yeah. That's the way I but see when, it. When you think back to your playing days, John, obviously when you probably weren't so aware of all of this, I mean, if you were in that position, would you always be sort of, I just want to get back on? And and is it is it up to the, the physios and, and, and the various medical people to just take it out of players' hands, do you think? Well, it goes back to what I said before about the players being ignorant about it. I, I, I played on in a game, and I can't remember the end of it. Um, Billy Bremner once made me come off because I had double vision. At other players I played with, it was a badge of honour to carry on after you'd had a whack on the head. It, we didn't know that we might be risking... Um, risking our lives or our health. But going back to what Michael said earlier, those are the big ones that are on the on the on, mm-hmm. on the, in the matches, um, the big concussions. What's really scary is these subconcussive blows, the damage that, that, that that's doing. But in terms of the, the way the players are looked after at the moment, quite simply, it's to me it's a joke. I just don't think they should be listening to Michael and Willie Stewart and doing exactly what they say. Yeah. And um this is a question to to all three of you. Um, start, starting with John first. Um, if it is concluded that a direct link does exist between heading the ball and dementia, and given that heading has been an integral part of the game for so long, will the authorities be prepared to prohibit uh, this altogether? It, it may not be necessary to prohibit it altogether. Um but certainly, they've got to do something about the, the training. I mean, Nuno Santos, who was manager of Tottenham, openly admitted he, was, he wasn't doing what they'd suggested. There was no reprimand. The PFA, the FA, nobody said anything to him when he said, we're not doing what they've told us to do. So, with regards to... I'd, like I said, the players need to be informed, but certainly... Is it necessary to head the ball 70,000 times in a career like my dad did, like Chris Sutton did, like so many players have done and are doing now? I don't think it is in order to be able to head the ball properly. No. But as, as Shearer said, as you mentioned earlier, I think for 43 goals, he worked out it was 1,000 headers a goal. Mm-hmm. So certainly that, that can be looked at. Um, with regards to prohibiting heading altogether, it's not what I'm after. I just want to let the players know, but... I don't. I, I can't answer that question, but certainly in training, it should be limited. Yeah, I would. I would add to that 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 I think we can't wait that long. We can't wait for conclusive evidence to prove this beyond a shadow of a doubt. That will take years, and and you know, during this intervening time, we've got players on the pitch, or more importantly, players in practice behind closed doors. Um, you know, heading the ball, some clubs following the guidelines, other clubs ignoring the guidelines, as, as we've just heard. 
I, I think we can't wait for the conclusive evidence. We need to be taking action now. Hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And, I, and I just think the biggest thing, really, is football should should be listening to these two guys and to you know to the other people who have who have, who have done the research in it. You know, we we can talk about it, Mark, as, as football fans. As you know, we like to see heading and we like to see that. But ultimately. Hmm. It's it's people like Dr. Gray who've done the research who can, as as he says, you know, there's 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 still more to be done, but ultimately can can teach us the things that Nobby didn't know when he was playing, that John didn't know what he was playing, and and it's it's frustrating when you hear that that John's coming up against this wall in trying to get his message across. And I I don't know if, if Dr. Gray, how much how much contact you've you've ever had with the football authorities in terms of them. Um, asking you to speak to them or, or to the players about about what you've learned about this. Oh, far from it. Um, yeah, far from it. Uh, Willie Stewart sits on the board that that um, um, advises them, but in my case, absolutely far from it. I've been trying to engage with football authorities for years, and um, have have not had a great deal of interest, if I'm honest. Can I just add something there? Um, just. Basically, when I wrote yeah. to them recently, Stuart seen the letter. As part of what I said, I wanted to speak to them. I also said that Willie Stewart would would do would talk to them as well, and give them the advice. And we've still been knocked back. We've had no progress. So when when I said I was going to speak to them, it's not just me as a as a grieving son and a, a worried ex player. It was also based on science, and they still won't talk. They still won't let us talk to them. That, 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 that is actually really quite frustrating because speaking from personal experience, I, I know what, what effect dementia has on not just an individual but the people around them because it, it's been in my family as well and emotionally it's just so, so draining and at some points you just don't know where you can turn to, who you can talk to, what you can do. And the last thing I want is for further, well, for more players uh, and for for their families to have to basically endure that because it, I, I wouldn't wish it upon anyone ever. It's just one of those things that it cannot continue in my eyes. If, if you think about it, Mark, today, thousands and thousands of players will be heading the ball in training. And that can be avoided. It's an avoidable thing. And they're still doing, even now, they're still doing nothing about it. And that's, it's just shocking for me. And, um, ne- uh, sorry, on the next question, um, to, to all of you again, um, what do you think it will take to get the authorities to take real action? Uh, starting with John on this one. I really, I really don't know. Um, well, I'm going to keep, I, I, given the information I've got, and I've, I've gathered over the, the, the heading and, and, and the, the impact and the, the damage, I, I can't stop now. Given the information, I won't be able to look myself in the mirror if I don't do everything I can to inform these players of what of, of what they're doing to themselves every day. In terms of, uh, in terms of the authorities. I believe the authorities are terrified of being um, litigated against, and I don't know. Maybe that's the only thing that will that will shift them. At the moment, they're just they're just brushing everything off. Um, but one thing's for sure: 
we'll keep trying. Uh, Stuart, have you got any um, comments with regards to what um, needs to happen? Well, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what what more needs to happen. Really, you know, we've seen some of the most famous footballers in the country suffer from this horrible disease. You know, we've seen we. It's twenty years ago that you know uh, Jeff Astle's inquest sort of highlight you know brought this issue to a to a wider audience. I, I would challenge anyone who to watch the the film. I think it's probably on the iPlayer, Finding Jack Charlton, and not be you know moved by you know the sort of shell of a man that that, that dementia left him towards the end of his life. You know all the examples are there in in plain sight. I say we've got the science from people like Dr. Gray. Um, I really don't. I really don't know what what more needs to happen to make people realise that that this is something that we have to act on. And as Dr. Gray says, we can't we can't wait. You know, twenty years down the line because there'll be twenty years more damage. Um, I, I find it astonishing that 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 there isn't more being done. And as I say, that people just aren't taking more notice of, of these two gentlemen, frankly. And what what are your thoughts on on that, uh, Dr. Gray? Well, I, th- I think that, I mean, I'll say something positive in, in, in the, the fact that we're having this discussion on this podcast is is a really good thing. It, it, uh, it brings the issue, or it keeps the issue at the forefront of people's minds. Ten years ago, we wouldn't be having this conversation. So I think that's a really good thing. Um, but I think it's, it's, it's still, unfortunately, in my view, the business of the game is more important than player welfare, and and that needs to change. But it's going to keep it, it's going to take time. So we we can't let our foot off the accelerator. We're we are making change. Um, um, people like John Stiles and Don Astle and Rachel Walden and 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 uh, and you know many many others are are doing brilliant work in in keeping this issue at the forefront of people's minds and that's the only way in my view that we are going to see the the change that needs to happen in the future and um finally uh to to all of you uh starting with uh, john on this one before we close um have you any final comments that that you'd like to add um i think what i think what dr gray just said there is relevant obviously we're talking about it um this is this is huge. This is a huge, huge issue. And and don't forget the FA. They're, they've also been entrusted with the care at grassroots at kids football. Yeah. You know they they're banning heading under twelve. Well, what happens when you get to thirteen? Does your brain get tougher? Just like Doctor Gray says, it's got to change. We've got to keep hammering away because this is for real. As 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 Doctor Gray said at the start, the field study is pretty damn good evidence. But what they do is they'll call for more research, more more research, more research. They've got enough evidence now, and um, they have to they have to get on with it. Um, I'll get frustrated and I'll start ranting. We'll keep going with with experts like Dr. Gray and Willie Stewart. We have the science, and we'll just keep going and keep going. People are dying unnecessarily and suffering the, the horrible brutality of dementia, as you've spoken about it before. And I'm sorry to hear you've had that uh, thing, Matt. Mm-hmm. But we'll keep going and keep fighting. Uh, uh, and your final thoughts, Dr. Gray? 
Yeah, I would say, so again, on, on a positive note, I think it's it's important that we are, I mean, one of the things that we can do is that we can look after our own brains. So whilst it is a research study, um, I would encourage people to, to have a look at our website, scoresproject.org, and join the study if you'd like to join the study. Where it's not just former professional footballers that we're that we're looking at, but we will monitor people's brains. Uh, we'll monitor brain health every three months um, at the moment for for the next ten years, and and we will let you know if we think there is a if if we think there is a problem. So I would encourage people join us, um, um, allow us to monitor your brain. And 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 as I say, we'll we'll you know we'll let you know if we think there's a problem. It's much much better to know earlier than uh, than to wait for a long period of, of, of time with this disease. Definitely. And uh, finally, Stuart, uh, have you got any final comments? Well, I just I just think you know there's obviously a lot needs to be done, but I think there's I think the simple things we can do now. I mean, say Dr. Grace just outlined, you know, people joining the study, helping themselves and helping his research. That's obviously something that can help. I just think we we touched on it earlier, just bringing in temporary concussion substitutes so that we have the time to properly assess people and just getting serious about what you know what John mentioned earlier when 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 Nuno was so open about his club's not. Um, his club not following the protocols, actually punishing people for that and, and making it clear it's not on because this is people's lives we're, we're, we're messing with. Yeah. You know, and I say that there are these fairly straightforward things we can do quickly and then look properly into the sort of, um, you know, longer term things that need to be done because, there, you know, for all that we've criticised the, the authorities, there are some protocols in place. I don't believe they go far enough but it's absolutely vitally important that we're following the ones that there are, and it seems to me that's not always the case. Um, so I think that I think football's just got to get a lot more serious about it. There's there's people here, you know, who who, who wanted to come on this podcast because they want to talk about it. They want to let people know about it. It's about time football started listening properly to them. Thank you, Stuart, and um, especially John Styles and Dr. Michael Gray uh, for their insights. Um, hopefully. A combination of conclusive evidence from the research and continued pressure on those in power, as well as what we've discussed on this podcast today, will finally result in some positive action being taken. That, thank you all for, for joining me, um, for basically joining us uh, today. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. YorkshirePost.co.uk Many thanks to Stuart Rayner, who will doubtless join us again soon for more discussions on the Yorkshire football scene. But don't forget, you can keep up to date with all the football news across Yorkshire and beyond by logging onto our website at www.yorkshirepost.co.uk forward slash sport, or if you search for Yorkshire Post Sport, Yorkshire Post Football, or even Sheffield Sport on Facebook, you can find us there as well. If you have any questions for our writers, you can get in touch using those various Twitter or Facebook pages, or email us directly with the subject matter as football talk podcast at yp.sport at jpimedia.co.uk. As ever, many thanks for listening, look after yourselves, and bye for now.